Well, good morning. How are you today? I, it's, listen, it's not as hot outside as it has been. We can be really excited about this. It's not, you know, like, it's not like hugging the sun when we walk outside right now. So this is a good thing. Listen, if we haven't met, um, my name is Joe. I am one of the pastors here, and it is my absolute privilege to be able to, one, welcome you and welcome our friends online to our first week of Given For, but also just, it's my privilege to be able to get here and tell you all a little bit about the Jesus that I love. And so today, before we kick things off in the message, I think it's important for us to just spend a little bit of time in God's Word, because that's what we're going to be learning from today. That's His letter to us. That's how He lets us know the things that we need to know. And so today, if you've got your Bible with you, I'd like for you to join me and turn to Romans chapter 3. Um, if you don't know where Romans is, um, it's in the New Testament. Romans is in the New Testament. It's honestly, it's about 80% of the way through the New Testament. So if you grab your Bible and you open about 90 to 95% of the way through, you're going to find Romans. And the book of Romans is a letter to the church in Rome from the Apostle Paul. And, but he's, he's writing to a specific group of people, but what he's writing to this specific group of people still has a lot to do with our lives today. And so we're going to be reading Romans chapter, t- chapter 3, beginning in verse 10 through verse 26. So it says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Their po- the poison of vipers is on their lips, and their mouths are full, are, full of cur- are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through redemption, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. I'd like to take a moment and pray for you all. And as I do, I want to encourage you, pray for the folks who are around you. Um, And uh, pray pray for yourselves and pray for me as we we engage in this. So, Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I'm, I'm humbled. I'm humbled by the opportunity that you've given us all to gather together. And by the opportunity and the, and the opportunity that you've given me to be able to share your word. And Lord, I pray today that the exterior noise of everything that's going on in our world just gets drowned out for a moment. That we can focus wholly on you and, and the good news that comes only through your son. So Father, in your son's name I pray. Amen. You know, I went to college 
on a journalism scholarship. I loved writing for the newspaper. I loved it. It was something that I, I, I just enjoyed. I loved writing. I loved writing any number of things. I went to college. I got into journalism in high school because they needed a guy to write sports. And so they said, hey, you want to do this? And I had a choice in the very small town that I lived in between writing for the newspaper and playing in the band. And if we got to be really honest, I joined the newspaper because I was going to be the only guy in the room. Okay? Let's just be honest. But I developed a love for telling a story. And when I got to college on my scholarship, I, you know, I got to tell the story in news, and I, but, and I got to write some opinion pieces, and they were all a lot of fun. But what I really enjoyed doing was writing feature stories. And what that is is just my opportunity to listen to somebody tell me their story and for me to put it on paper and tell it to somebody else. I got to tell. I got to, they, they sent me to college because I could tell a good story. And, and through my time there, I got to talk to a lot of neat people. I talked to a couple former presidents. I talked to some athletes, some musicians, some world leaders. I got to talk to some incredible people. And all of their stories had, had a couple things in common. In every one of their stories, there was good news and there was bad news. There were good times and there were bad times. And it was my privilege and my obligation to be able to lay out on paper for people to read the good and the bad and how they go together. And the truth of the matter is, isn't that we all kind of look for the good? We, we, we're just ingrained to look for the good and the bad. If we go to a movie theater and we catch a movie and it's nothing but bad news, there's going to come a point in time where we stand up and we walk out. If we pick up a book and it's nothing but daisies and rainbows, there's going to come a point in time where we look at it and where we're reading along and it's just like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem, this, it's just, I, it doesn't compute. I mean, you need the good. The good needs the bad so you understand the gravity of the good. I mean, really, I mean, what's Superman without Lex Luthor? I mean, if we're talking about this, what are the Chiefs without the Broncos? I mean, what are the Jayhawks without that team from down I-70? I'm talking about the Missouri Tigers. Um, But no, in all honesty, what we look for, the good and the bad. And today, guys, I'm going to be talking and we're going to be talking about the ultimate good news. But in order to do that, the truth is we have to talk about the bad. We have to talk about the bad. And honestly, I wish I could stand up here and only tell you the good news. I wish I could stand up here and and only tell you all the great things. But in order to understand the magnitude and the weight of the good news, we have to understand the gravity of the bad. And I believe that we can see both the good and the bad in our teaching big idea for today. And this is, it. this is what this is. We can only find true forgiveness and be sent into the world through the sacrifice of Jesus. You see, the good and the bad are both present in this. The good is that there is forgiveness and salvation available through Jesus. And we get to see that clearly in Acts chapter 4. Where, where we see this, it says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. See, salvation is available, and this is incredible news. But the bad news is there as well. Because while salvation is available, while forgiveness is available, forgiveness is necessary. 
That's the weight of this. Forgiveness is necessary. Yes, through Jesus, forgiveness and salvation are available, and that is great news. But because of our sin, not just original sin, but our continued rebellion, forgiveness is needed and necessary. You see, our sin created and broke a bridge, broke communion with God beyond all human repair. And we are now, as fallen human beings, on our own, we are captive to our sin. You see, friends, I really wish that all I could do was stand up here and tell you the good news. But I'd only be telling you half the gospel. And so today... We're going to camp for a little bit in some very difficult news so we understand the magnitude of the good news that is to come. And we're going to see this through the life and the words of Paul and directly from the mouth of Jesus. You see, the first bit of hard news, and this is hard to swallow, is that on our own, we live under the rule of sin. On our own, we live as captive to sin. On our own, we can't escape it. You see, Jesus spoke about this, and his words are recorded in the Gospel of John. And my friends, listen to me. I need to make this very clear. These are not my words. This is the words of Jesus. This is not me. I didn't throw these on paper. I'm just reading them. So this is the words of Jesus. He says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. See, I know these are strong words. These are incredibly difficult words for us to wrap our minds around. Listen, we, we don't talk about, when, when we talk about slavery, man, listen, you just kind of put a toe in and go around with it like this because you never know how the water's going to feel. But Jesus just hops right in. And these are appropriate words in relation to mankind and our relationship with sin. You see, we were all born because of original sin into a, into a sinful, into a slavery to sin. But here's the thing, because once we know Jesus, we have an opportunity to step out of that. But we, when we sin, we are stepping into it voluntarily. That is hard news we are choosing to step back in to sin we are choosing to step back in to bondage we are choosing to step back in to slavery and that is hard news you see, the Apostle Paul helps drive this home in Romans 3, in verse 10. And in this, he's quoting Psalm 14. He's quoting David when he says, There is no one righteous, not even one. See, what Paul is saying is that nobody, that whole idea of being a slave to sin, he's saying that's everybody. And he drives it home even further in Romans 3, verse 23, when it says, For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. I had an old pastor who used to say that fancy little word all means everybody. He goes, no matter what, no matter how you translate it, what language it comes from, it means everybody. And and see, we we all have this opportunity where we fall short 
of the glory of God. A couple weeks ago, we, we talked about this glory of God being the perfection of God. We all fall short of the perfection of God. We, all, we fall short by denying his perfection in our words, in our thoughts, and in our actions. We all fall short. We are broken. See, friends, this is weighty. But it's necessary for us to grasp the magnitude of the coming good news. You see, and even in the middle of our brokenness, we have an enemy that has three tools. I believe the tools of the enemy today's day and age are discouragement, division, and distraction. If he, can di- if he can discourage us or he can divide us or he can distract us from the good news, then he wins in the moment. But here's the deal. In this element, he can distract us from ourselves. He can distract us from what we know to be true, which is the fact that we are all fallen by making us look around and see what somebody else has got going on. And we can all fall into this trap of comparison that says, hey, well, at least I'm not that guy. Hey, at least, you know what? Like, yeah, yeah. So I told a little lie. But, but that guy over there, um, he, he, get, he, gets, he gets drunk and he hit his wife. Well, I might have thought some bad things about somebody else, but that guy over there, uh, he, he's, he's a thief. You see, in, in this world, we understand because... We, we understand that on earth there are consequences for our sin that are, that are leveled off in different ways based on the severity of what has happened. But sin in the eternal landscape is the universal leveler. Because the consequence of sin, regardless of whether it is a little white lie or it's murder, are the same. It's separation from God. And it's why we have to be very careful not to fall into that comparison trap. Uh, Handley Mule was an early 20th century pastor in England, and I think that he encapsulates this really well when he, when, when he talks about, and he's talking about the comparison trap and not to fall into it, when he says the harlot, the liar, and the murderer are short of it, but so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine and you at the crest of an alp, but you are as little able to touch the stars as they. You see, regardless of what it is, sin is the universal leveler. Sin is the thing that keeps me from being able to touch perfection. Sin is the thing that keeps me from being able to grasp the glory of God. You see, this is hard news and i gotta be really honest the next bit of news doesn't get any easier see no amount of human effort can save us from ourselves no amount of human effort can save me from me no amount of human effort can save us from us And human effort comes in a lot of different ways. Human effort comes in working hard. Human effort could come in in having, you know, trying to follow all the rules, trying to do all the right things. No amount of this is going to save us. Paul Paul speaks to this in Romans 3, verse 20. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Let me pause for just a second. You see, the people, the Jewish people of the time would understand what it means to observe the law. They would understand that that was hard work. It was hard work. It was about actions. It was about inward things. It was hard 
work. And so, so therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sins. You see, works, hard work, is not the way. Now, this is a hard thing. Listen, I was born and raised in South Central Kansas, where if you didn't get the thing that you thought you were supposed to get, it was because you didn't work hard enough. If you didn't get the promotion that you thought you were supposed to get, it's just because you didn't work hard enough. You need to work harder the next time. If, you, if, if I was in a wrestling match and I didn't win, it had nothing to do with the fact that he might have been a better wrestler than me on that day. It's because I didn't work hard enough. You know, whether it be a coach or, or, a, or a neighbor or my, my own parents, it all came back to, Joe, you just have to work harder. But you see, in God's economy, that's not how this works. In God's economy, yes, there are things that we are asked to go do. And there are things that we are asked to go do for, on, on behalf of him. But those happen after we are saved. See, prior to, we, prior to us coming to Jesus, it's about what has been done for us, not what, about what has been done by us. And so Noah, it's not about this idea of us being able to work our way to salvation. And human effort just doesn't speak of hard work alone. Jesus continues to teach about this in Matthew's gospel. He says in Matthew 5 verse 20, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you, cert- you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's, again, let's think about this. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those are the guys whose job it was to follow the rules. Those are the guys whose job it was to live at such a high level and keep the law at such a high level that the people outside of that would have looked and said, there is no way for me to live to this, on, on this field. And so what Jesus is saying is, says, unless your past, your present, and your future is lived at a different level than those guys, nah, you're not going to make it. It was impossible. What Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying is that, is that rule following, much like good works, can't get you there. It isn't enough. Even if we could now begin to live perfectly and keep the law of God, it wouldn't make up for everything that happened before today. See, hard work and rule following are not part of God's way of salvation. See, my friends, the hard, the bad news is hard. And it's as real today as it was the day that Paul wrote it down and Jesus spoke it. But like in all great stories, the narrative is about to change. Paul is about to introduce the ultimate good news with two simple words. But now. You see, but now says things are changing. But now says there is hope. It says, hold on, because your world is about to get turned upside down and shaken a whole bunch, and we're going to see what falls out, because everything is about to change. He says this in Romans 3, beginning in verse 21. He says, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. He's saying everything up to this point in time has, re- has pointed to this new righteousness. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Did you hear that? But now changed everything. But now is, 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 is what has turned the world on its head. 
It says there is now a righteousness that is available outside of your works. There is a forgiveness and a salvation available outside of anything that you can ever done. You see, Jesus was given so we could be forgiven. The righteousness of God was made available to us through Jesus. And there is no better news that I can tell you. The righteousness of God was made available to to us through Jesus. A righteousness that was unavailable through all human effort is now available. And this changes the eternal narrative. This makes the original design of eternal communion with God available again. It can't be stated clearly enough. So church, listen, no notes for just a second. I need you right here. Jesus, who always was, is, and always will be God, left heaven, came to earth, became like us, lived the perfect life, died a death that our sins say we earned, rose again after three days, after bearing the wrath of God that should have been ours because there was no other way to bring humanity back into relationship with God the Father. Jesus, that Jesus, changed our eternal narrative. That is the good news. Period. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. The good news has a name, and his name is Jesus. You see, eternal communion with God became possible through faith in the one king and is the picture of ultimate justice. Not only that God is just by pardoning those who put their faith in him, but that Jesus is the justifier by choosing to bear a punishment that is due everyone who falls short of his glory. And we learned earlier from Paul, that's all of us. Two simple words, but now. Change the narrative. And let us know that the good news is available to us all. You see, Jesus was given for all who place their faith in him. And his sacrifice is proof of his justice. Paul continues to talk about this in Romans chapter 3, verse 22. It says, but now we have one, oh, sorry, there is no difference for all, who ha- for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Jesus showed ultimate justice in one act of unmerited favor by buying back out of slavery to sin those who submit to him. We talked earlier, friends, about how apart from God we are a slave to sin. The ransom has been paid. 
for those who will accept it. The ransom has been paid on our behalf. Sin does not have to hold us captive any longer because of the blood of Jesus. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, but now we have one universal cure. The blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ will save every man who trusts in him. For there is no difference. Jesus was given so we can be forgiven. He is the universal cure. The blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ will save every man who trusts in him. The justice of God required a sacrifice. It had to be paid. It is either, it was either and is either going to be paid by mankind or because of the mercy of God as the justifier, a way, the way has been provided for us to not have to carry this burden on our own. Jesus, who was both just and the justifier, lays this out incredibly well in John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus answered, I am the way. He is the only way to salvation. He says, I am the truth. He is the only one who can make this claim. Because my friends, quite frankly, he came, died, forecasted his resurrection, and then pulled it off. He can claim that he is the truth. And he is the life. He is a life that is brand new. He is the life, the only life, that can bring us into eternal life life with Christ. You see, the truth is we were all created for eternity. Jesus is the only way to life for eternity. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation is available for those of us who recognize our standing as sinners, separated from God, who then repent and accept Jesus as Lord. Repentance is not apology. Repentance is not saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is saying, that is not who I'm going to be anymore. I'm turning to you and you alone. It's turning our back and saying, this is the direction I was going. I was walking into, continually walking into voluntary slavery to my sin. And I am turning my back and I am going this direction toward the one who made a way and paid my ransom. It's believing that I am a sinner and apart from him, I have no standing with him. And accepting that the only way that I'm ever going to meet the Father is through his blood and his atonement. And when we do this, we are given a gift that Paul lays out in Romans 6. In Romans 6.23, Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
Jesus came and was given so we can be forgiven and find salvation in him and him alone. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 32. He says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. You see, when we come and we are forgiven, we become blessed. When we come and we are forgiven, we find a blessing that we would never have experienced otherwise. And it is a blessing of new life and, new, and a new way of, of addressing this world. We, are, we will be addressing the world from a place of salvation rather than fighting for salvation under our own power. You see, Jesus' sacrifice that brought us forgiveness is the ultimate blessing and is worthy of remembering. Jesus' sacrifice is the ultimate blessing and is worthy of remembering. And today, together as a family, we're going to remember Jesus' sacrifice. Today, together as a family, we are going to remember what Jesus has done in us and look forward to what he wants to do through us. But today, if you've never, if you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, today can be that day. Today can be the day where you turn from a path that leads you directly into the slavery of sin, from the slavery of sin, and turn and turn toward our King. And say, Jesus, apart from you, I am broken. Apart from you, I, I can't do this on my own. Apart from you, I have no true life. And accept Him as our King and as the way, the truth, and the life. And if that's where you're at, while we're participating in the communion, I want, I've, got a, I've got a challenge for you. One, I would love for you to go visit our prayer partners along the edge. They'd love to talk with you about what does it mean to step into relationship with Jesus. But if you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, and, but I'm not ready to do that. I want to tell you that communion, communion is for those of us who call Jesus our King. Because without that, we don't have anything to remember and look back on. So I would encourage you that if you're not ready to step into faith with Jesus, and listen, I, I, I'm, I pray that, 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 that the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of you. But if not, don't feel ashamed. Just stay where you're at. But for the rest of us, during this next song, just come on down front. The deacons are going to be ready. Guys, when this happens, when we come into new life with Jesus, when we are forgiven, when we are forgiven, we are sent. You see, our series' big idea is we are forgiven so we can give ourselves for Jesus, for his church, and for our cities. Today, let's remember what Jesus has done for us and look forward to what he wants to do through us. Westside, I love you, but not nearly as much as our Father in heaven does. I'll be right back. Love y'all. You can stand and come forward to the elements.
Savior, I come, quiet my soul.
And Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup, passing it around, said, this is my blood spilt for you as an atonement for your sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, the good and the bad are necessary. But praise Jesus for the good news. I want to encourage you to come back in the next three weeks. Because the good news of Jesus, as it comes alive in us, is meant to pour out to the people who are around us. And we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit who gives us gifts that are meant to impact each other, our community, and our world. Westside, we'll see you next week. I love you. Amen.